Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. Welcome to the Sages Among Us, everyone. I'm your host for tonight, Brian Buckley. And the Sages Among Us, as you know, focuses on people who are civically engaged and actively participating in the development of their community. Tonight, we're going to get the inside story of just such a citizen leader. Recently, the Center for Nonprofit Leadership published a series of articles in the union entitled Faces of Philanthropy. One of those faces belongs to my guest tonight. Kalia Miller wrote the article, Why I Serve, the Rewards and Challenges of Nonprofit Board Service. And tonight, we'll be able to explore that theme in a little more depth with her. Kalia is, per, is uh, currently the board president of Community Beyond Violence and has an extensive uh, background in social justice advocacy and organizational development. She holds a doctorate in sociology from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and degrees in public policy and feminist studies from uh, Stanford University. Kalia, welcome to the Sages Among Us. Thanks, Brian. I like how you tripped over Stanford now that I know that your daughter was at Berkeley. So I, I, yeah. I heard that happen there. Well, it's not uncom and, you know, uncommon for somebody from Berkeley to trip over Stanford. So that's just <laughs> what happened tonight, too. Uh, you know, before we get into the challenges and rewards of civic engagement and nonprofit board service, let's get to know you as a person a little bit better. Can you tell us about your family and your formative years as a child? Sure, absolutely. Um, thank you for having me here tonight. So I had a pretty typical upbringing in a very eclectic family. Um, I was raised in North Lake Tahoe in Tahoe Vista and Tahoe City. I was the second of five kids in a blended family. Um, when I when I describe our religion, people get that kind of shocked look in their eyes. So my mom was she was raised Mormon, but was an okay. a, absolutely avowed Buddhist by the time uh, I came onto the scene. My dad was a Russian Jew from New Jersey who ran a Mexican food restaurant with a Sicilian business partner. My stepmom was raised Catholic, uh, but she was the main person who took me to Hebrew school. So we had a lot going on in our, in our little family. Um, I had a lot of little perspectives and definitely uh, a lot of um, good, healthy debate and, and different ways of seeing the world, even from the time I was, I was born and raised in Tahoe. All right. So you got a degree in religious studies compared to religion before you ever set foot in college, it sounds like. Then. <laughs> it, it certainly felt that way sometimes. Okay. Um, well, by the time you were at Stanford, you decided to pursue degrees in public policy and feminist studies. Can, can you share with us, you know, the path that led you in that direction? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was, I was in my second year at school when 9-11 happened, and it, was, it really shook me. It changed my sense of security in the world, and there was a part of me that wanted very much to understand why that had happened. And I was, I was drawn to kind of both sides of the, of the debate. I wanted to know how, that, how the world functioned. And I started taking international relations classes, 
Uh, I wanted to know how laws were structured, how our world was governed, and that took me into public policy. But as a, as a born and raised contrarian, as my partner would certainly uh, attest, I also wanted to see the other side much more about what does it mean for people on a small scale to experience different forms of oppression, where does that come from? And I, I started just by taking classes that interested me, but ultimately I, I loved being in these two polar opposite spaces. In public policy classes, I would always ask questions like, well, what about, what about people? Why are we not thinking about um, different kinds of people? Who are we excluding? And then I would get into my feminist studies classes and I would say, well, what about an economic perspective? Why are we not talking about mm-hmm. uh, statistics here? And so I, I guess I was, in, I was no one's favorite student, uh, but I, I definitely <laughs> got a dual perspective all the way through school and was drawn to it because I think because I was part of that generation that was really shaken uh, in, in the U.S. to see the world mm-hmm. change before our eyes and not know quite what we could do about it. Right. Yeah, that had to be a, a powerful moment. Um, yeah. And it sounds like that uh, contrarian label you earned has been a consistent <laughs> part of your your life, uh, really, at this point. Yeah, um, feels right. Yeah. Hey, other than the parts of, of your life story we've already discussed, um, you know, including that uh, huge impact of 9-11 on you, can you think of any other watershed event or moment that's been key in the formation of the person you are now? You know, it's funny. I was I was talking to my daughter, who is eight today, about um, being on the radio. And she said, well, "Why do they want to talk to you?" And I said, I don't, "I'm not sure. They just want to know about my life and and things that matter to me." And she goes, "Well, I could tell you." I said, "What is it?" She said, "Well, obviously, when you gave birth to me and to Asa, my my son." And I I didn't respond fast enough or positively enough. And she quickly said, she goes, "Well." <laughs> If not that, like clearly when you were born, which I don't remember, and and I I do believe was probably a watershed moment in in literal and figurative terms. Um, (laughs) But for me, when I think about it, I've I've had the really, really fortunate position of being able to travel a lot and being in positions where I'm, I'm not in the majority for whatever reason, and those have completely transform my sense of the world. But, but when I really think about one moment that's shifted my course, it's much more local. Um, my sister Dina is a farmer here. She has Sweet Roots Farm. And she and I, she was living in Santa Cruz at the time. Um, and we were, we were taking a jog together and someone, uh, cat called us very rudely in terms I will absolutely not say out loud on the radio. <laughs> and I was about to respond somewhat in kind uh, as I think most girls and young women are used to having those experiences and saying something flippant. And Dina had been taking a self-defense class and she, she turned around and she just yelled beautifully. She said, it is not okay to speak like that to us or to any other women. And it was so, so uh, transformative for me to have the, this feeling of, of taking it back. And when someone has said something or felt like they had the right to, to talk to me in that way, to, to turn it around on them 
and then also to kind of lay down the line of this is not something that you should ever do. And we, we did not play it cool. It felt so good to say that, that we, we, mm-hmm. we kept running and we did Charlie Chaplin jumps up in the air, like that sidekick. We high-fived, we punched the air. I mean, we were, we were really excited about how good it felt. And it, the thing is, for me, it really surprised me because this is, at this point, I had already taken feminist studies classes for years. I identified as a feminist. I had thought of myself as very strong and independent. But it's hard to explain how in those intimate moments when someone... Mm-hmm does something that feels really uncomfortable, even someone who is trained not to take that on still can Mm -hmm. feel like it's their fault or they've done something wrong or they need to not take up space. And for me, what happened after that was that I started taking self-defense classes and I ultimately moved on to teaching women self-defense. I taught for years in San Francisco I had a birthday party, my poor friends and family. I had a birthday party where I taught a self-defense class to them. Um, (laughs) I don't, I'm not, it's not, it wasn't like, I don't, tequila and, uh, and a birthday cake. It was (laughs) teaching self-defense and yelling no and learning how to set boundaries in um, verbal and physical ways. But it was just an imagining a symbolic (laughs) way of cutting the cake. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. You know, I think I'll bring it back. I, I'm hitting 40 yeah. this year, and I feel like that could that could really be a, a positive uh, resurgence. But that that moment, and then what followed, uh, admitting that I felt that I did feel vulnerable, and admitting that I didn't feel like I had what I needed to stay safe in the world, sometimes led me down this path that has been the personal parallel to the career path that I've had in women's rights and human rights. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's what a powerful event uh, you've just mm-hmm. described. Uh, I just, I can see how that would be life changing on, on a very fundamental level. So yeah, great story. Um, so you, you were mentioning your, your, your sister as, you know, being the catalyst for this, this incredibly powerful moment, you know, along the way, have there been any other individuals or, or mentors who've helped or influenced you in substantial ways? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would, my sister Dina is, is one of them. Absolutely. And as are all of my siblings, so I have two brothers and two sisters and um, we are, Again, it's not it's not uh, for radio, but the nicknames we have indicate the very different ways we walk in the world. Um, but my my family and my uh, my parents have definitely shaped how I how I have entered this this world and what I believe in and what I believe I can do. And that has led me into this path where I've gotten to work for most of my career in international human rights in one way or another. And in that the first person that completely transformed my path and and my vision of the world was this woman Ana Maria Enriquez who is currently my boss again but she was my internship coordinator uh, 20 years ago about and she was um, she was the first person who I met who didn't care how old you were but once she understood that you 
had something to bring to the work and to the world, she trusted you. And from, from that outset for me, it really shaped my sense of empowerment in my own work that I could mm-hmm. bring value that I could learn. And she also taught me a lot about what it meant to support women's rights globally. She was the first person who showed me the difference between having an idea, sitting in America, coming up with an idea about how you might make a grant versus trusting people to come up with their own solutions. She taught me how to approach my work in a way that started with relationships and started with trust that people in their own context, uh, women in Peru can come up with a much better solution for how to uh, combat domestic violence than I could ever impose from here. And it, it was the beginning of my entire career, which is dedicated to helping people access the financial resources and also the networks and the relationships that they need to move forward the solutions that they know they need in their own life. And so she's been absolutely pivotal. She's led me to many other jobs. I used to joke that she was, she was the um, single strand between all of my positions. I, I have actually earned jobs on my own over the years, but 20 years later we're, we have the great joy. It's, it's truly a pleasure. We, we, are working together again. She's the executive director where I work and I'm the deputy director. And it's, um, it's really powerful to be with someone who you have that kind of relationship in a, in a work setting. Right. Right. Yes. And, and, and the depth of the relationship that you two have as, you know, co co team members there. Um, well, you know, you, you mentioned this, it's, it's clear that, You've lived in a variety of places and have worked for a number of international organizations, such as the UN and the Global Fund for Women. What what brought you to rural Nevada County? <laughs> so I know you obviously knew about it growing up in the Tahoe yeah. area. Yeah, it's a good, it's a great question. It's funny when I when I meet people here and they ask me where I'm from and I say Tahoe, they kind of nod like, "Oh, it's so obvious that you would that you would live here. It's just an hour and a bit away." And it is so far from obvious, the, the path for, mm-hmm. from Tahoe to here for me. I mean, I, I lived in the Bay Area for eight years. I lived in New York. I lived in Los Angeles. And uh, I did my Ph.D. in Wisconsin. So I've, I've lived in a lot of places in, and abroad. But there's just something special about this place. And when I was, I was living in New York, I was working at, at the United Nations at the time. And... Uh, I I was earning what I thought was a great salary, but it was only because I had worked in nonprofits before. So I had a little extra money and I didn't know how I, I wanted to make sure I used it wisely. And I, um, with my parents' help, my, my dad and stepmom up in Tahoe, they encouraged me to, to look into property and to have that be a way that I could use that for something in the future. And I, I could not imagine any place that I would want to be except here. And I, I had spent time here. My mom lived in Nevada city for a time. Um, my sister wasn't yet living here, but she had some friends who are farmers here and we started looking and I, I just knew that this was a place that someday I could imagine living, which is, which is hilarious because it was so far from my life. Like, at the time, there there was this one night that really characterized the difference in my life 
now in my life then, I was walking home from work and I was talking to my sister on the phone, my, my farmer sister, um, and she said, are you chopping carrots? And I said, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't cook. I don't have time to cook. I'm working all the time. She goes, are you chopping carrots? I said, no. And then I realized it was my high heels on the, um, uh. on the sidewalk. And the idea of living in a town like this was so foreign to me, but there was still a sense. I, I had this sense that someday it would be a place that I could, I could have roots. And I, I found this little house um, and it was, this is when the market was very low, not like it is right now. And I was, I was able mm-hmm. to get it and I rented it out for, for years. And then um, I was living in LA and had, I had my daughter down there um, and her dad and I were, trying to decide what we wanted to do and our life wasn't a city life anymore and I wanted to be able to finish my PhD and we decided it was time and so we moved up here um, and my sister well both of my sisters actually were thinking are you sure because I'd lived in cities so much they go are you sure you're gonna like it and I it's been six years and I have never uh, in my adult life I've never lived somewhere where I felt as much like I was home and you know, now, six years later, I have a partner here who I adore. I have my kids here, his kids. We, we have this really beautiful kind of robust community, not that different from what I grew up with. And I have the kinds of friendships here, people who will really show up um, and for whom I also feel like I would drop anything to, to help out. And I, I love being in a community like this. It's, it's not what I expected necessarily, but some part of me, even at, I guess it was, I I was 28, I think 27, 28. When I, when I first got that house, some part of me knew this was a place I could, I could live. And, Mm -hmm. and here I am, uh, you know, years later. Yeah. Maybe. Right. Right. Maybe, maybe not expected, but maybe needed. Huh? So, uh, my guest this evening is Kalia Miller the Executive Director of Community Beyond Violence. Kalia, tell us about Community Beyond Violence, if you would. Yeah, and there's one quick correction. I'm the board president of um, Community Beyond Violence. It's helmed by Stephanie Fisher, who's our Executive Director. And Oh, that's I, right. Um, my, my mistake. I knew you were board president. I just said no, the wrong thing. I'm so sorry. No problem. I, I didn't catch it either. I, I have the great privilege of being in a position where I get to support the organization, um, but don't have to do the hard work of running it. Um, so, but the organization itself, it's one of the longest serving organizations in our community that works to support people experiencing domestic violence and sexual assault. And, you know, I was, I was talking earlier about my own experiences teaching uh, women's self-defense and this organization is absolutely stellar at finding ways to support people uh, to survive the unthinkable. I think it's one of the most important organizations in our community. It serves the underserved and the invisible and very persistent uh, problem of, of violence and especially sexual assault and domestic violence that even here in our really beautiful and um, connected community still affects many, many people, many families and many individuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, how did you first get involved with Community Beyond Violence? Uh, clearly there's a, you know, a resonance with 
some of your values and experience, but uh, how did you get connected? Yeah, you know, when I moved here, I'm just remembering this now. I hadn't thought about this for quite some time, but, but before I moved, I moved from Los Angeles up here. And before that, I knew that I wanted to make this a place that felt like home to me and a place where I had much more connection. I had moved so many times over the the previous decade. And one of the ways I wanted to do that was by connecting with a group that really uh, mattered to me. And I I work globally. I I worked remotely before it was cool or necessary. I've worked from home on a computer for a very long time. But... Um, I wanted to bring that global work, especially around women's rights, back to a more local setting. And so I initially, I signed up to do their crisis intervention training. I did that uh, in 2016. It was the uh, series that they did, and it's it's a really important and intense and powerful experience to go through this training. And I, I did it with the intention of being on their crisis line. But then toward the end of the training, I found out I was pregnant with my son. And the last thing that someone who's either pregnant or has a young baby needs is to be woken up in the middle of the night by anyone other than Mm -hmm. that child. And so I I didn't join. I didn't start volunteering at that point. Um, I loved the organization. But I waited. And once my kid was old enough, when he was two, I, um, I was contacted by a friend of mine who worked there. Tracy Pepper, who does fantastic work now in the organization or in the community around um, racial justice, but um, she was at CBV at the time and and suggested that I join the board, and I was ready. It was the right time, and so I joined in 2019. Okay, so you've had a, a couple years now on the board, and, and let's get down to it. Um, part of your article, what do you see as the rewards of being on a nonprofit board these days. But, yeah, I mean, I, jokingly, I say all of the influence and none of the work. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> but, but truly, one of the things I love most about it is being in a position where you get to be at a visionary level and think about how do we, how do we want to contribute to our community or to the world, and and to stay at that level, and then to know that that is something that helps lead and helps guide the team and helps guide the staff without having to necessarily be involved in the minutiae. Um, I'm on another, another international um, organization's board, and that also gives me that, it plugs me in to a part of the world that I wouldn't necessarily be able to do in my day job, but it keeps me connected. And with, with Community Beyond Violence in particular, I think there's something really valuable of about being able to volunteer your time that's connected to your own community and and forces you to see some of the things that are hard, um, but also does it in a way that's for me is manageable. We meet once we meet once a month. Um, I meet with really great people. I mean, the, the the board has has in the time that I've been there, we've have such a diverse group of people who have been on or who are currently serving on the board, and it's. Um, for for me, currently, it is completely serving that that purpose that I initially had, which was connecting with the community, being connected to a cause that is really important to me, but also learning and being part of uh, being part of Nevada County in a way that I couldn't be through my own work currently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So it, it, uh, in, in summary, it, it, it deepens and broadens your connections to, to yeah. others in your community from what I'm getting. Okay. Absolutely. What about the flip side of that? Um, you know, what, what are some of the challenges? Yeah, I, I think for me, one, the biggest thing is time. I mean, and I think that's the biggest thing that keeps people from doing board service like this. It's just, it is time. And especially as the board president, there's a, there are extra layers um, but the time commitment is sometimes mm-hmm. a challenge for me, um, especially having young kids and a full-time job and a lot of other you know, commitments. But um, And then role clarity, I think, can be hard. People on, a, on boards sometimes want to do the work. And some, in some boards, that's totally appropriate. But in most, that's not. And so I think there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a divide. Like, what am I supposed to do here? What What is my role? And so if you can really lean into being able to provide that strategic vision and then let yourself step out of the way. And that's that can be hard, especially for people mm-hmm. who are inclined to want to give strategic advice. They aren't right. always the same people who want to step out of the way and then let it unfold. Right, right. Good point. You know, the position of board president is a, is a key leadership position in any organization. Um, what's your vision for the future of community beyond violence? Yeah, I mean, I I think community beyond violence, our core work is so valuable. There is a crisis line. We have a shelter. We are the go-to place for people who are experiencing violence. But we still aren't as known in the community as I wish we were. So the first step for our future is being more visible. And I I think, unfortunately, one of the barriers to that is that people don't want to face the darkness in our, in our community or things Mm -hmm. that, that are really hard. And so there is a way that I hope in our near future, we can continue to really take the issue of violence against women and intimate partner violence out of the shadows and that people can recognize how much it affects all of us in some way. There, no one is more than two steps removed from someone who's experienced domestic violence or sexual assault as, as unfortunate as that is. Um, and with that, I hope yeah. that we can continue to build more of a community response and that we may, in my idealistic world, be able to move from working to support survivors as the core of our job to working to prevent the kind of violence that people are facing. I, I do mm-hmm. genuinely believe that we can raise our sons and our daughters in ways that help them become more connected, more peaceful, more loving. We can create a community where people step in if violence is happening and we can be, we can be a community that does not allow for the kind of violence that's a lot that can happen when it's hidden away and when it's in the shadow. Right. Right. Well, very well said. Um, you know, uh, there's not a lot of time, but I, I always like to ask how others can get involved in this kind Mm -hmm. of, human help and care. If someone wanted to volunteer for Community Beyond Violence, what are some of the steps they can take? And it sounds like we've only got uh, maybe less than a minute. Okay, so they can go to cbv.org. There is a button that says get involved, and there is also going to be another crisis intervention training this spring. And if people sign up 
with involved interest in getting involved, they will be notified about that training. Those are two ways to get involved immediately with CBV, Community Beyond Violence. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kalia Miller, for being my guest tonight. It's been great talking with you. Thank you so much, Brian.